All right, Westside. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34 is our text this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a paperback Bible right there in front of you. It might be blue, it might be white, it might be a strange color that I don't even know about. But that one right there in front of you, open that up. And if you don't own a Bible, we want to give that to you as a gift this morning. So open that Bible up or your Bible up to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 19 through 34. Upon the conclusion of the reading of God's word, I will say this is the word of the Lord, because it is, and you will respond, thanks be to God, because we are thankful for God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if I was supposed to finish it out by singing or what. <laughs> it's going to be sad. That's uh, sort of our last, this is our last Sunday in the series Managing God's Money. And so it'll be the last Sunday maybe that you hear Pink Floyd. I don't know. You know, we might do something later on. But um, we're excited that you're here as we bring sort of this series to a close. And anytime we do that, there's always questions as of direction. Where are we going next and what are we up to? And uh, this season and this fall season, we've sort of done something a little bit different than we normally do. Uh, most of the time, we just sort of make our way through a book of the Bible, just sort of verse by verse, Ecclesiastes, Nehemiah, the Sermon on the Mount. We just sort of make our way. But just through praying and in preparation for this year, um, sometimes it's good to sort of bounce around and find some topics that God talks about and then find some verses that um, those verses are about that topic. And so what we've done, we've done that with money. Every verses um, and every passage of scripture that we have talked about, the main idea of that has been money. And we know coming up, the holidays are just right around the corner. And I also know by being in this game for a little bit that that means that um, family 
is uh, going to be around the table. And unfortunately, sometimes that's more heartbreaking than it is heartwarming. And so starting um, in the month of November, we're going to be doing a series called Home. And it's just going to be talking about some foundations of the family and to prepare you coming up for Thanksgiving and Christmas and those type of holidays of being around family. And we just want to be applicable. We want to find God's word. What does it say about this and apply it to our lives? And then after that, uh, believe it or not, we're right back at Advent. Um, it is like, um, I saw a post the other day that was like nine Mondays or something until Christmas. That's, oh my goodness, right? It's crazy. And so that's where we're going to be heading. But today we are bringing to conclusion this series, Managing God's Money. And I'm, you know, we've, we've got a lot of feedback from this series. And I just think when you talk about money, when you talk about what God's Word says about money, it's something that we deal with um, every day of our life. And by far, I think one of the main feedbacks that we got was when we discussed the order in which we live. And so we said that primarily how we live is live, save, give. And we were challenged by looking at God's word. And most of the time we never get to the give part. Last week we talked about what that was. And that's, there's a reason why we never get to the give. It's because it's the live, save, up. Oh, there's nothing left over. So there's no, nothing to give now. But we said, what if we flipped it? What if it was that radical that the way in which we use money reveals that we don't love money, but that we love God? And so rather than live, save, give, we said, what if it looked like for us to give, save, and live? And that seemed to sort of strike a chord for a lot of us. And I ran across, um, there's been so many resources that I've used in this series and books and this, that, and the other. But I ran across a guy by the name of Ron Blue, Ron Blue Ministries. And I would highly recommend that website to you. It's very Dave Ramsey-esque, um, just a sort of a different approach. And he laid out, and I saw on his website, just some financial stages to help you gauge where you're at. Because there's wisdom here, right? So before we switch from live, save, give to give, save, live, we need to know where we're at financially in life. We're, we're not trying to be um, unintelligible here. The Bible speaks a lot about wisdom. And I think we'll find ourselves in one of these stages. The first stage that he talks about is struggling. No, guys, people said amen, right? Um, one of the things he said is struggling. We say that we're struggling, but struggling um, by definition financially would mean you either have to choose my water bill or my electric bill. That's struggling, okay? Um, it's I only have $10 and I have to get gas and there's still something. Struggling is there are no ends in order to meet together. That's struggling. The second uh, condition is surviving, okay? Surviving. That is um, my head is above water but barely and if I catch a cramp I will drown, okay? Um, struggling. And what he said there is he talked about that debt is a factor in both two of these stages here. So there's surviving, there is struggling, and then there's stable. They're stable. One of the things that, that, that I think is good to talk about is that it doesn't always have to be negative when it comes to money, right? I mean, like we're, we're trying to learn some principles here to where we can be free from the bondage of that. And so we start out, you know, struggling, surviving. Those could be called college years or something like that, right? And then stable. Stable is now things are, things are good. I'm, I'm paying my bills. Um, I'm giving what I desire to give. Things are good. And then he moves on to the next one, which is secure. 
So, so if emergencies pop up, if the tire blows out, the hot water heater does this, that, we're, we're able in a financial situation to provide for that and, and we're secure. And then lastly is surplus. And he said surplus um, is not so you can live comfortably. There's nothing wrong with living comfortably. But when you reach that financial stage in your life where surplus is there, God has given you that so you can ease the pain of other people. God gives you, remember we talked about the roundabout, right? How many of you guys thought about this this week when you approached a roundabout, right? I got all kinds of text messages and this, that, and the other. But when money comes to us, it doesn't end with us, but rather that that we give it. And we learned about the high and uh, the, the why and how last week. And then, then this week, um, we're talking about the, the last chapter. So we talked about whose is it? It's God's money. How do I get it? We get it honestly, diligently, and humbly. Then we talked about why and how do I give it. And this week, we're going to end it with where do I put it? Where do I put it? Have you thought about that, right? I mean, you're spending so many hours a day about earning it. Where do I put this? What's, what's going on with this? I've used this story a bunch, but it's just so profound. This is a picture of John D. Rockefeller. Um, if you've been around for any period of time, you, you know who he is. Very, um, probably one of the most wealthiest men to ever live. He passed away um, in 1937. And when he passed away, listen to this, this is crazy. In 1937, John D. Rockefeller's entire net worth was 1.5% of the United States economy. One man, okay? Um, it equaled out to be about $340 billion in 1937, okay? Um, that's, that's crazy money, all right? That's crazy money. But when he passed away, obviously, it was a very big deal. He had children, this, that, and the other. And a press conference was held in regards to his estate. And a reporter asked his financial advisor, how much did John D. Rockefeller leave behind? And the financial advisor on record said, all of it. All of it. He left every dime behind. Because when we end this series with this today, it's really the focal point of what we're talking about. If you get the concept that God owns everything, if you get the concept of how to earn it and how to give it, but if you get the beginning and the end, the bookends of this series, then you'll understand what the scriptures are really speaking about when it comes to money. And Jesus talks in these verses just about that. It's why the verse that was read to you from Psalm says this, Psalm 49, Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increase, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. And Jesus in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount speaks directly to that. In the Sermon on the Mount is sort of Jesus' like inaugural address. If, if I am the Messiah and if God in the flesh is here, then what does it look like to live in the very kingdom of God? And Jesus gives us this sort of dissertation of what it looks like. But it's very interesting that Jesus talks about the issue of money. And what Jesus does is, is he compares sort of two ways of life, a compare and contrast. And, and really to sum it up, what, what Jesus is saying is, um, 
you can't take anything with you. You can't take anything with you. But you can send it ahead of you. You can send it ahead. And what he says, the safest place and the best place to invest and to put your money, this is the big idea today, just all cards on the table. The best place to invest your money is into the kingdom of God. Plain and simple. I was thinking about that this week when I'm just studying and in one of the study Bibles that I was looking at, it had a picture of Rome and uh, the Colosseum and the stones and how basically it's almost rubble. And at one time, Rome was the glory of the known world. And here we are in 2019 in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, in southeast Missouri, still proclaiming Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's alive. And so, I mean, it literally proves itself that the best place to invest and to best, the, the, the best ROI is into the kingdom of God. So we have to ask two questions. What is the kingdom of God and how do I invest in it? Okay? And so Jesus tells us that the first thing, what is the kingdom of God? Do you see Jesus uses the phrase here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Or I'm sorry, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, this is literally um, Jesus's message summed up. I mean, literally the first message that we have from Jesus is Mark chapter 1, his first sermon. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I mean, that's it. That, that's the message that Jesus preached. And then all through the scriptures, we see Jesus telling stories, right? Right? whether it be um, a son who asked for his inheritance and ran off, or a farmer with some seed and he scattered. But all of those parables and all of those stories start with this sentence. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. It's like a farmer with seed. The kingdom of God is like a king who had a banquet. Jesus is literally telling us constantly what it is like to live in the kingdom of God. And, and when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, it took us 16 weeks to get through it. You guys remember that? We studied that. We, we defined what the kingdom of God is like. And, and we said this is a good working definition. The kingdom of God is the reign of God through the people of God for the glory of God. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the reign, the rule and reign of God through the people of God for the glory of God. And you know what's interesting is, is, is we all have a kingdom. Sure. I mean, Jesus even tells us right there, um, he says, where your treasure is, verse 21, that's where your heart will be. Jesus says, I, I can find what your kingdom is by, by following your money. And, and we all live in a kingdom. I think a good example is, um, so we have three kids at home, seven, five, and three, and Roman's really into basketball, loves playing basketball. But um, I can guarantee you something that if you play basketball with Roman, um, guess who's not going to be Stephen Curry? You, okay? Anytime that you play basketball, Roman is always going to be Stephen Curry. Why? Because that's his little kingdom. That's where he thinks his rule and reign lives and presides. And we live the same way. Um, um, Jesus, you're, you're a part of my life, but um, this is my marriage. 
Okay, and so um, I'm, I'm going to rule and reign in this category of my life. And what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. What it is to live in the kingdom of God is to live under God's rule and reign. And I think it's very important for us to understand that when we talk about kingdom of heaven, that we think that when, as soon as we hear heaven, that that's a place that we're going, which is true, which is good. But Jesus didn't teach that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is just a place that you're going. Listen to me. It's a life that you're living now. I am exhausted and exasperated by Christian theology that teaches it's getting so bad and there's nothing we can do and look what's going on with the world and all we need to do is sit back and wait and get sucked up in the sky and then we're going to go to heaven someday and that's all. Down with that theology, man. Down with that theology. We believe that we hold literally the hope of the entire world. That Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. And that he taught us to pray. We pray it all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, on earth as it is in heaven. That the kingdom of God is being ushered in now in the rule and reign. So now we have to understand what the kingdom of God is. Please, please follow me, I'm going somewhere. We understand what the kingdom of God is, but why would Jesus, why would Jesus talk about money? I mean, look at the language that he uses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And then he talks about that, that the Gentiles there in verse 42, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Jesus is literally blasting everybody. Here's what he's saying. The religious elite at the time equated financial wealth with God's blessing. So if you had a lot of money, God loved you more than he loved the next guy. That's what the Pharisees understood. But then also the Gentiles understood that you had to work and that in order to do all of these things that you had to seek and do all of that. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen, that's wrong and that's wrong. I don't want you to live either of those ways. I want you first to seek my kingdom, where my rule and reign is. And what's interesting is when we connect those dots, why would Jesus talk about the kingdom of God and then about money? We learned in the series that, that Jesus warned a lot about money. Why? Why did Jesus warn about money? And now this is where people get bad theology and say, oh, you know, money, everything, money is bad. No, 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 no. But he didn't warn against money. Why? Well, I'll just let you, I'll just let Jesus tell us. Matthew 19, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because wealth hinders you from hearing the gospel. Plain and simple. Um, example A, the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, not love your money? Well, can't do that. So, And he turned and walked away sad. You know, money's so powerful that it blinds you from its power. That's what Jesus is saying about having a healthy eye. He's saying, listen, you don't understand the power of wealth, man. That it's so powerful that it blinds you from its power. And as I was reading that, I thought about um, the very famous book by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, right? 
And remember Gollum, before he's Gollum, the, the power of the ring. The ring has all of this power in the movie. And anybody who finds it realizes that there's this draw sort of to it. And, and they don't want to let it go. And, and in the movie, it does a great visual image of this is what he looked like before and when he found the ring. But then it transitions to the end of the movie where he says, my precious. And it literally eats away. It, it, I mean, it, the physical change that the movie tries to show you is getting you a, a, a message across that this is what happens internally to us. That literally the power of wealth is so powerful that it blinds us from its power. And so when it comes to what is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God through the people of God for the glory of God. And then Jesus talks about money. And to sum it up, this is what Jesus is saying. You can either worship money or you can worship God with your money. Plain and simple. Those are the only two options that you have. For nobody, no one cannot serve God and money. And listen to me, listen to me. You are not the exemption. You're not the exemption. No, you do not have it under control. And no, you're not better than Bob. You're just as dumb as he is. You cannot, no one can serve God and money. You can either worship money or you can worship God with your money. So what is the kingdom of God? It's the rule and reign of God through the people of God for the glory of God. So secondly, how do I invest? How do I, how do I put my money into the kingdom of God? I mean, I mean it's, it's very interesting, right? When he says the phrase, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What does that mean? You ever ask questions when you read the Bible? Like, that sounds really great and poetic, but how do I put up treasures in heaven? Well, we have to ask a question. If the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, we should ask this question. Where's the reign of God seen? Where, where's the reign of God seen? Where do I see the rule and reign of God? Answer, in the lives of his people. In the lives of his people. I mean, Jesus would even say, um, the kingdom of God is, is in your midst. And those of you who don't have eyes to see don't even understand this. That it's God's using people. And then, who are people? Well, the people are the church. This is, this is what we learned in the Extraordinary Time series. That, that literally the church is sort of like a preview and a shadow factory, if you will. That when big factories after World War II would come into a town to, to sort of institute a huge factory, they would have a little pilot factory to show people what this would look like. A little preview, if you will. And what the church is and what the people of God are, are little preview factories of what the kingdom of God is like. So when the world sees such a diverse group, group of people, black, white, brown, green, blue, Democrat, Republican, dumb, smart, rich, poor, it doesn't even matter any of that. When all of those people come together and they love each other, not because of who they are, but because the common thread of Jesus Christ, that literally the entire world steps back and goes, what is that? What is that? 
That's not just happy hour at Applebee's. There's something different there. Those, those people love each other. And that love is not fickle. And literally, literally, we see Peter describe what the church is. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is the language of Israel. That you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, the greatest investment, the greatest investment is investing into people into the kingdom of God. So to practically answer the question with money, I'm going to say this sentence very unashamedly. You invest money into the kingdom of God by giving to where the kingdom of God is being proclaimed and applied. And we believe that that's the local church. Now I need to do some work here. If you are not a covenant member of Westside and you're just attending here, we're so glad that you're here. Um, I believe that you have some praying and some discernment to do as to where you're going to invest. Um, I don't believe that, that we're a perfect church. Just hang out for a little while. I'll offend you. Somebody will make you mad or something like that. But I believe we're a good church. I just think we're trying. But if you're a covenant member of Westside, you go through um, our connection class. And the very last night of the connection class, there are board member interviews, and you talk with people, and you sign a declaration of fellowship. And what you sign is, is that West Side will be the primary place where you invest into the kingdom of God. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. I used to be so afraid to say that sentence. Because I didn't want people to think that it was about money. Please, if you've heard anything in this series, anything in this series, that money's not the most important thing. Money reveals the most important thing, which is what you love. And, and, and for those of us who still sort of resist that and go, oh, man, money and church, it just sort of starts, ah, it starts talking like a business. And, and I don't really know about that. Well, well, did you know that last week we talked about Paul raised funds um, for churches and church planning and ministry? And did you know that, that Jesus's ministry was, was funded financially? Um, did you know who was in charge of the money? Yeah, Judas. Yeah, it didn't go well for that guy, right? He's not having a good day today, Judas, right? But there's this little snippet in Luke's gospel where it says this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and one village to another. Here it is. Here it is. Proclaiming the good news of the what? Of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Do you know how great that is? Herod worked for Rome. And Herod has no idea that the manager of his household just messed around and got saved. And so Herod was like financially super sketchy. And so I'm sure totally that she was going, oh, you don't need that money. And then she was just giving this money off to Jesus. I love it so much. And then Susanna and many others. And here's the sentence. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. The word means is, is money. It's life. Please listen to me and don't ever get this twisted. The ministry of Westside Church of God will never follow money. 
ever. We will never be dependent upon that. Because money in the scriptures always follows ministry. If God, if the kingdom of God is being proclaimed and applied, the expansion of the kingdom of God is the very will of God. And if that is taking place, you better believe that he will supply the means in which that is possible. And so when it comes to Westside, there has been changed lives. There has been marriages restored There has been addictions broken. There has been a boom of babies. Don't drink the water, apparently, you know. People are getting baptized. People are being saved. I've given my life to this. I believe this. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, God's just, cho- God's just chosen in this season for us to like ride this wave. I say it all the time, like a turtle on a fence post. I don't know how I got here, but I love the view, man, right? It's just unbelievable. And we believe in this strategic season at Westside that in five years since I've been here, we have never done this. But what we are asking the people of Westside to do is to invest into the kingdom of God. And we are doing that by rolling out and instituting what we're calling God's Money Campaign. Um, you know, it's, it, it's been fun to preach about how like, hey, there's original carpet in the sanctuary. Ha, ha, ha. Um, now it's just gross, right? Um, there's a lot of updates and there's a lot of things that we have to do to this church in order, listen, to keep expanding ministry. It is not about carpet. It's not about this, that, and the other. It is about stewarding what we have in such a way that the rule and reign of Jesus Christ will be seen in his people for his glory. That's what it's about. If you want to argue over carpet and paint, you can bounce because it is not about that. It is about people who don't know Christ coming to Christ. And so one of the things that we're asking you to do is we're asking you on top of your regular giving to give and to be a part of this. And so I know that you have a flood of questions about this, so I'm going to try to answer some of these. What's it for? It's for ministry. It's for stewarding what we already have. There's many people who ask us, man, when are you going to build? When are you going to do all of that? I'm not thinking about any of that until we take care of what we already got. We need to steward what we already have before we ever launch out into something that we're not even prepared for. And so it is for ministry. Well, Jason, what's the primary thing? What's the pressing thing? Well, we know that kids are a pretty big deal and that we have a lot of them. And so we want to invest in that because we don't believe that they're the future of the church and some kumbaya. We believe that they're current leaders in the church. That we're not interested in babysitting, but we're interested in raising up disciples. The second question that you have is, well, who's in charge of making all these big decisions, okay? Now, we have bylaws here that govern us legally. So we have a board of directors, and we also have a capital campaign committee that are pulled from the congregation. Multiple different people, men, women, older, younger, all of those things. And before a dime of any of this money is spent or put anywhere... Our bylaws call us to have a church meeting to vote on all of those things. 
So what I'm saying is that as soon as you start investing into this, this money doesn't get spent and it doesn't go anywhere. And just to ease your conscience, I have no access to that, okay? I can't even write a check around here, all right? And I love that. I think it's great. And so how are you able to do this? There's going to be a number of ways. Um, when you leave today out there in the lobby, there's going to be a card that's going to have a bunch of information. The first thing that you can do is you can go to our website, which is westsidepb.org, and as you scroll down, and there's a little Give tab. You'll click on that Give tab as you scroll down and see our service times and that bald-headed weird guy. You'll click Give, and then what you'll do is you'll click that General and put in a million dollars right over there on the left-hand side. <laughs> you'll click that General Fund, and then it'll drop down and it'll say God's Money Campaign. And if you want to make a check out, please put in the memo section of the God's Money campaign. Jason, when's all this construction, when's all this remodeling and everything going to start? Um, we're still putting things together. We want to launch this in 2020. We believe that time is no longer on our side. That we have got to get at doing some of these things in order to better steward what God has given us. Jason, how do you know, how do you know that God's leading you guys in this direction? This is a pretty big deal. It's a very big deal. And if there's ever been a series that I felt pressure on, it's been this one. Because you've got to understand, God hasn't called me to the you know, people who've been Christians for 40 years. Those are the meanest people, and I don't have a lot of grace for them, okay? God's called me to reach people who are far from Christ. That's just who my passion's for. And so I'm always so fearful of a new believer or someone who's not yet a believer talking about money, this, that, and the other. We've been praying about this as a board, been praying about this as a committee and as a church. I don't think any of this is a surprise, like, oh, wow, a campaign and big remodeling and this, that, and the other. I don't, if you've been here for a long time, you're like, yeah, this has been needing to happen. But I've just been begging God to, to, to affirm this, affirm this, please. Last week, I was in my office, and I was writing a sermon on giving. I was writing a sermon on giving. And we received as a church a donation, an anonymous donation, for $62,000. Four days before that, Frankie opened up an account for this, and I told her, I said, it might not be important to you, but it's important to me. The name on the account's God's money. That's the name on the account. And the very first deposit that we're making, God did, just on his own. Just anonymous on his own. Hey, if you need any affirmation as to what direction you're heading. And for me and the timing and all of it, the amount, it was just the timing. It was almost like a just because when you call your spouse or give a text message or send flowers, and it's just a little note, just because. That's what it felt like. And then as I prayed and I was just thanking God, I just felt that the word for us, for Westside, is this. Your move. It's your move now. If you need any more confirmation, if you need anything else, 
I'm going to meet you every step of the way, but it's not I'm going to meet you and then you take the step. It's you need to pray. You need to figure this out. You need to, it's, it, it's almost fearful. You need to open up the account. You need to do all of this. And then right, right then, I'm going to show myself in such a way that literally makes you just want to tuck your shoulder and just keep marching forward. So what does this look like for you? I don't know. I think it looks sacrificial. I think it looks intentional. I don't know what that lo- I don't know if it's a yard sale for you. I don't know what this I don't know what any of this looks like for you. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to tie it in a nice little bow and give it to you. We're going to make you wrestle with it. We've done our work in this series and now it's between you and the Lord. And for you to ask yourself, I'm investing into the kingdom of God. And this is the best place that I can invest this and put this. So when you leave today, you can pick up these cards. You can go on our website. You will be in constant contact and information of what this campaign and everything that's taking place and that's happening. So Westside, let us stand to our feet and let us pray and confess how our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Westside, lift up your voices. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today so grateful. Just so humbled that this little church and that this band of misfits would be a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. And may we never know, may we never know the impact of the sacrifices that will be made and the investments into this on this side of heaven. God, we believe that eternities will be changed, that children will be raised in such a way that they would know that they are loved by God and that Jesus is God and that He is alive. We pray that marriages would be restored, that addictions would continually be broken, that people would be baptized, and that the point of Westside would be to point to Jesus. God, we ask that radical faith would meet radical obedience. And we ask all of this in the risen name of Jesus Christ.